Hi, this is Taylor Stuber. And this is Sean Smithgall. We are both clinical pharmacists, faculty members, and your hosts for The Postgraduate Pharmacist. Welcome back, Sasso Squad, and any new listeners to another episode of The Postgraduate Pharmacist, where we're all about helping you separate and stand out as you prepare for postgraduate training. From current events to expert advice, we bring you up-to-date content every other Monday related to postgraduate training. Join the Sasso Squad today and follow us on Twitter at PG Pharmacist or Instagram and LinkedIn at The Postgraduate Pharmacist. And check out our website at postgraduatepharmacist.com where you can get all of our latest content. If you love the show and want to support what we're doing, check out ways to spread the word on our website or buy us a cup of coffee. We could always use the caffeine. All right. Welcome back, Sasso Squad. If you didn't know, which I'm sure most of you did, residency application season is here and applications will be due before you know it. And in case you haven't heard, there's a pretty significant update in the process. But you have absolutely nothing to worry about because we're here to break it down, let you know what's changed, and make sure that you are the most prepared and ready to rock this application process. All right, Sean, so spill the beans. What's the change? When did it happen? I want all the deets. Well, well, Taylor, uh, it happened really fast. In fact, it wasn't even on my radar. And then all of a sudden this week, I get this whopping email from somebody saying, hey, the forecast letter of recommendation thing has changed. All of a sudden, it's different. One of the candidates sent one of their preceptors a recommendation form, and they were like, wait a second, this is not what I'm used to filling out. So that created quite a buzz and it started with ashp connect when all of a sudden they were posting for rpds and saying hey here's the changes forecasts sent out a letter saying hey with our new updates there's this new letter of recommendation form it looks a little bit different and it's been stirring within the community yeah so it's definitely generating a lot of buzz here as well and from what we can tell it has been updated ever since they uploaded a, even a PDF version from a few days ago. The version that I looked at two days ago is different than the version I'm looking at today. And so it probably is ready to go. And I don't know, I don't anticipate <laughs> any more changes, but uh, we wanted to just devote this episode to highlight the changes as they stand as of November 16th kind of identify some of those key differences from previous forms and what that will mean for you as a prospective candidate as you help guide your letter writers. And it might sound like a pre- pretty big change and kind of feel overwhelming, but I think you'll get a sense of ease after we talk today because I think it's still going to be okay. We will provide you with a link to all the forms and helpful materials in the show notes, so I can't wait to talk about it. All right, Taylor, I can't wait to discuss it. So let's just go ahead and jump in and start breaking down this new letter of rec. Yeah, let's just start with the basics. We've discussed on our show previously multiple times, but just wanted to rehash really quickly here. What's the purpose or intent of the letter of recommendation or the evaluation form within forecasts? Yeah, so I'll weigh in, you weigh in. Like we've said before, this is just one piece of the process. You've got tons of other things on forecasts, like your letter of intent, your academic record, a complete breakdown of your CV as well as your CV. This is just that window 
into your actual clinical and sometimes work experience that you've had, maybe even leadership experience within the school, you know, depending on who's writing this letter of recommendation, but this gives them those RPDs, the preceptors, an actual insight into what kind of person are you in clinical practice or around others or in like the real world. I agree with you definitely to provide some insight of how you are working with and the type of resident that you potentially will be in the future. I also think it's a good opportunity if you look at the form, then I would highly encourage you to do so as a prospective applicant. Don't just leave it for your letter writers, but you can look into what types of things they are asked to evaluate you on and the characteristics and and how they would rate you provide some specific examples in those areas as to how you might have excelled in that area or maybe not performed as well and have room to grow as a resident. So it can kind of give one, not only positive things, but then the areas for improvement that you would potentially want to work on during residency. And I think it's important to kind of have some self reflection and maybe even open discussions with your letter writers about that to make sure you're on the same page and that your application is cohesive and you can kind of talk about the same things together in your application on potential areas for improvement. I think that shows a great deal of maturity and growth that you would have during residency. And so speaking of, so they chose a very precarious time in which to release this letter because we're literally about, what, five weeks away from some of these applications getting close to their due date, mid-year's coming up in just a few weeks, where you're going to be talking to programs potentially or learning more about programs. So it was, it's an interesting time to drop something like this that's new and this big of a change. I know this might influence this, this answer to this question or the answer to this question, but like when should students be reaching out to those preceptors or those recommendation writers? Well, you probably heard us uh, on previous episodes if you're a listener of the show. If not, I would encourage you to go back to some of our episodes about letters of recommendation. But generally, you would want to secure those during your APPE rotations or you know shortly after each APPE rotation if you felt like you had a good evaluation and they would write a positive letter for you. But I think now is a good time to touch base. And I think we generally say, you know, right before mid-year, you know, you want to reach out, kind of, especially if you had a APPE rotation in June and you asked that person to write a letter for you, just kind of reach back out and just kind of nudge them and remind them that they would write a letter for you. I think now that's even more true than ever with this this change that has happened because you don't want to have your letter writers get surprised by anything if they haven't heard of this change. It'd be a good time to kind of kill two birds with one stone. You know, you reach out to them, remind them about that you're still interested in applying for residency and seeing if they're still able to write a letter for you. But then also, I think it's good to kind of inform them or update them about this change. And you can just simply provide them a link to the form and or the website. ASHP has a lot of good resources and things that kind of update you about the form. So there's no surprises going into writing the letters because process will generally happen shortly after mid-year. 
Oh, no, I agree. I think uh, I think reaching out to them now and just saying, heads up, it's different. I want to revisit that, though, too. Once we talk about one of the major changes here towards the end, I want to revisit how you feel about <laughs> should you reach out now and what should you put in that email when you reach out? Absolutely. But before we get into that major change, I have a surprise for you, Sean. Uh-oh. <laughs> so are you ready for this? Oh, you know, I, I guess so. All right, back by popular demand. I'm bringing back the trivia, the PGP trivia. So I prepared a trivia question for you. It's okay if you didn't prepare one for me. Uh, I'll forgive you this time. Welcome back to PGP trivia. And you know what inspired me is you're now uh, moved into your new house, and congratulations on that. I'm excited for you. I'm jealous that you have a podcast recording studio, which basically is your office, but (laughs) I would call it a podcast recording studio uh, in your house. But my question is inspired by houses and and things like that. So one of my favorite movies is Step Brothers. When Dale is giving Brennan a tour of their house when they move in together, he kind of gives the history of, of the house. And so he says the house was built by General Custer. Uh, what year did he say General Custer built that house? And I'll give you, it'll be oh, multiple gosh. choice. I'm not oh, going to be nice. There's no way. Okay. 1795, 1805, 1815, or 1825. I was going to say, I knew it was low 1800s. I have no idea. 1805, 1815, 1825. I would say, based on his, the number that would probably pop in his head would be uh, 1815. 1815. Only 10 years off. It's actually 1825. That's all right. Well, maybe next time, but no PGP swag for you this time. Back to the real stuff. All right, back to the serious stuff. Um, as much as that, as much fun as that was. So, if you want to learn more about reference writers and letters of recommendation, and kind of rehashing some of those things that we just discussed, check out some of our previous episodes. Particularly, check out episode number seven, where we bring on guests from a paper that kind of discuss their recommendations for letter writers and I think a lot of that maybe had spurred some of this change as well you know as we go through it but now that we've got kind of those semantics out of the way let's discuss major changes seen with the form itself and hopefully there's no future changes I think they might have just uploaded a old draft of the form previously but let's talk about kind of that initial thing that you see when you kind of go up into the form they go through the characteristics so let's talk about that what are the changes seen with those oh can, can we start even higher can we start the tip, tip top oh yeah i guess because there's can we don't have to like go into it depth. i just wanted to like can we yeah 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 I didn't the changes in instructions. Yeah. So I think we let's start with if you pull up the form, which is on ASHP's website that you'll see at the beginning. And this is just what the PDF looks like, kind of the instructions and notes from the applicant. But in the instructions, it says this candidate is seeking admission to pharmacy residency training program and has requested your reference. Please provide us with information on the candidate's qualifications and capabilities and your impressions of the capacity to serve as a pharmacy resident and here's kind of where I I think to pay attention to we are also interested in your assessment of the candidates motivation and potential for working with diverse persons groups and communities and then it has kind of a 
opportunity for the applicant to provide some information, I think, when they request a form in Forecast. I think it kind of highlights some of the work with DEI. And so if you have an opportunity to uh, highlight some of those with specific observations, I think that's important. And that might be something, quick side note, to add to that email you're sending to the preceptor saying, hey, they're looking at DEI now. If you want to highlight some of that stuff from my rotation, that would be lovely or that would be helpful. And then kind of the next piece you flow into is is probably something we're familiar with seeing, but it looks a little different now. So this is the characteristics evaluation, and there's been a few changes with this. And so it asks you to rate the applicant on specific characteristics. So let's highlight those specific changes. So one of the first changes that you notice is you don't have these comment boxes next to each one of these characteristics that are daunt- used to be daunting because it would be like, you can put up to 6,500 characters in here, which is like a four-page paper. <laughs> and I don't think anybody was going to do that. Yeah, I was kind of excited to actually see those removed just because I feel like there was a lot of repetition between those comment boxes and then narrative comments at the end of the evaluation form. So all the different characteristics are similar to some extent. They're maybe slightly reworded, but it's not anything that was would remove the intention of what it is. The only thing that's new that I've noticed, so it went from 13 characteristics to 14 characteristics, is now there is a characteristic of ability to prioritize and meet deadlines. So that's something new, and you, that might have been part of the organization and time management, but it kind of goes a step further to kind of talk about those specifically. Because that seems to be a problem with a lot of residents these days is not meeting deadlines. I've, I've just noticed it more. Yeah, that's potentially, and they're probably trying to get at that. Maybe that's what they meant by uh, initially when they first developed this form, and that's kind of what they might, people might in, take that meaning a different way different way. The other major change that we see is that before letter writers would evaluate these characteristics on a three-point scale, so basically like does not meet, meets expectations or exceeds expectations. I don't remember what the exact wording is, but that was kind of generally what it was. Now there's a five-point Likert scale all the way from the lowest being consistently fails to meet expectations all the way up to consistently exceeds expectations. And so between those, room for improvement meets expectations and occasionally exceeds expectations. So a lot more variability in where you might rank applicants. And certainly there's still the not observed category as well. Yeah, I like that they've added the four category, the occasionally exceeds expectations. I think we're going to see that a lot more because in the old world, we just would see a lot of, you'd either have all all threes, which that was the exceeds, uh, and maybe like one or two meets because sometimes preceptors were afraid of putting too many meets and stuff and not giving the candidate a good chance. And we talked about the evidence before saying like that RPDs don't really look at it like that. So I'm curious to see how RPDs are going to look at it now that we have these, oh, here's a student that goes above and beyond, just not every single day. And if they're going to actually put more weight on candidates who get fours versus threes, which threes being beat expectations, as opposed to the old world, they were welcoming 
more meets expectations because they know that not every resident consistently exceeds. Right. And I think this actually offers the letter writer a little more room to be honest in their evaluation of the candidate. It gives them more flexibility. So I kind of like this change with go into, you know, those different categories because I, th- I, I totally think uh, it's going to be difficult to get a five consistently exceeding expectations. If you get some, you know, a few applicants that have some fives, like that's going to stand out. So especially for things like ability to prioritize and meet deadlines. Like I don't, I don't honestly know how you would differentiate between someone who occasionally exceeds, exceeds their ability to prioritize and meet deadlines and someone who consistently exceeds their ability to prioritize and meet deadlines. I feel like you either, you either prioritize and meet them or you don't. I don't feel like there's levels to that. Yeah. With some of these, I wish there was Um, a little bit more like black and white, like yes or no, like yes, no, (laughs) I'm just glad there's a slider. Oh, I hate clicking radial buttons. Now I can just slide it over to the like art I, w- I want to use. Glad that's your big takeaway of that. You know what? I'm the one that made that change. I put. It, I probably sent a letter once a month to say, can we make this a slider? Right. I bet you did. After these characteristics that you're rating above, uh, it gets into the narrative comments, which this used to start off with a giant paragraph that was like, explain your interactions with the candidate. And I think people would interpret it different ways. There was like parentheses that said like, describe how often and for what period of time you're with the candidate. But it was really open to kind of interpretation. People would put a lot of different things there. So they've changed that now. This is this is another part that's received some pretty major updates to it. So Taylor, walk us through this one yeah and we could get caught up in like the very very specifics of it we could go line by line but i don't think that's helpful i think just overarching from what i can tell and what the 500 fit view so there's more questions now um because i think it's they're asking a lot more specific questions with the narrative comments so they're kind of getting at what those previous comments were wanting to get at and being a little bit more specific, such as obviously it's going to ask like how you know the candidate. Did you precept them on rotation? How many hours did you precept them for? Things like that. How much time you worked, you know, each week and the time you uh, interacted with them. But then it kind of gets into yeah, that that one's weird too. Like how much do you typically work with them in hours per week? And then how much do you interact with them in hours per week? Yeah. I mean, is that like face-to-face versus just being in the same room? Yeah. I, I, that, that one's kind of weird to me. But For me as a letter writer, I will probably end up putting similar things in those because most mm-hmm. of the people who ask me to write a letter are students I have on uh, APPE rotations. I, I, I would interpret that to mean almost you know the same thing, but... But I think that's that's fine because I think, you know, later on you have the opportunity. I think this is, you know, stuff that they were looking at before, but then kind of setting the stage really as to what your the nature of your interaction was. Was it during a their first clinical rotation? Was it their last clinical or it wouldn't be the last clinical rotation, but was it later on in the year after they've had four clinical rotations under their belt where you would expect them to be a little bit more advanced. So I think that that's important. And we had always encouraged letter writers to include that type of information previously, but now it's specifically asking about it, which is helpful. And then, you know, it also asks, you know, if you're precepting them during like a busy time, like what the state of your hospital was potentially, if you guys were, 
you know, undergoing staffing shortages and, and things like that where they might have had to have a little bit more independence. So kind of just a lot of good questions about just trying to gather information so they can appropriately make an assessment, you know, much like the pharmacist patient care process, right? So kind of diving into like some of those other questions. Again, we asked, we when we talked um, with the authors of that paper back in episode seven, one of the things that they mentioned is to include how the candidate's performance compares to other candidates. So it gives you a little bit more flexibility or more specific instructions on are they the top 25% of applicants that you've precepted or recommended for a residency? Are they, you know, the best one you've ever had? Or are they the bottom 50%? So it kind of gives you a little bit more, and it doesn't directly say to do that, but it kind of asks um, about those specifics more or less so that they can kind of make a comparison as well. And then it ends with the two whoppers. Oh, yeah. Which is two strengths and two weaknesses. Yeah. And then this is where they put a little comment to say, this is if you wrote consistently exceeds or you wrote room for improvement in any of those characteristics, please highlight or give right. examples of that in these sections. This is a, a lot better with how they word these because it, you know, before it just said list two strengths, list two weaknesses. This kind of puts it into a context of they want to know based on your evaluation above how they can work on that during residency or how that will help them be successful in residency, which is ultimately what I think program directors were looking for, but not always included within the letter. I like how the, you know, it specifically asked for those characteristics as well, you know, and then they provide the recommendation kind of like a four point scale, like from highly recommend to, you know, I'm not able to re- recommend this candidate, which hopefully people aren't writing a letter if they're th- um, not able to recommend a candidate. But that's similar to previous years. But now we get to kind of the the mic drop part of the Uh-oh. part of the letter. <laughs> Here it comes. So new this year, <laughs> uh, and maybe back uh, from previous years. Uh, so it hasn't been like this. Hasn't been like this for a long time, but. It now gives you the option to include a separate letter of recommendation. So they can upload a PDF file, Microsoft Word document of a standard letter of recommendation that they would write. doesn't give them any guidance, instructions. It just gives them the opportunity to upload it. So what do you think about this, Sean? Well, I want to first reference what Forecast said about it in their um, email. And they said that this is new this cycle and optional. This allows a recommender to leave additional information regarding the applicant that may not have been covered in the form. Which I'm, I hate that statement because that insinuates that you should be putting one of these in there on students because it's like oh you're not going to get to say everything you want to say this is your chance now to say all that stuff whereas before we had a box we could we could put all that information in. right so i think this is going to push students to feel like they need to have this letter of recommendation and it's going to put pressure on preceptors and writers and then those writers i'm gonna say i mean i'm looking at this i do not want to do that i don't want to fill out this massive uh recommendation form massive probably not this large recommendation form and on top of that write an individualized letter 
for the candidate for this program. And if what we're hearing is true, that you cannot just bulk, right? You can't just do a general letter. You have to do one for every individual program. Does that mean now I'm having to tailor a letter to each individual program? Yeah, that's kind of what it would seem like. And so kind of here's what I, my thoughts are on this. So I think the intent is if this kind of allows a program to request additional information beyond what is included on the form, but then uploaded in a you know more standardized format. I think it could be confusing, especially since now we're learning about this a month before a lot of these are going to start be, being due. So I'm interested to hear if programs are requiring or requesting one of these. I mean, in my opinion, this is what allows them to request additional information. But like you said, based on that wording, it might seem like it would insinuate that they sh- that applicants should request that their letter writers do it. This also may be intended. One of the narrative comments I didn't mention that was deleted or was is no longer there that was in there in previous years is how a it might be intended to highlight a candidate's fit to a particular program. So that's no longer included as a specific narrative question <clears throat> where you could potentially, you know, talk about some of those things that they might want to know about. So it could be it's gonna be a point of confusion. I think this is probably gonna be like the most I don't want to say controversial, but maybe the one that gets the most buzz or talked about the most as to whether you should do this or be requesting one or writing one, whether or not you know, the applicants actually, letter writers actually do that. So more to come on that. I know that programs are probably scrambling right now on like, what do we do with this? If all of a sudden we start getting these letters of recommendation when we don't request them, like what are we supposed to do with this? Programs have to have a very explicit process for how they evaluate candidates on forecasts and how they evaluate candidates on the interview. And so they're going to have to have some sort of thing here to address this. Like what happens when half the candidates have these and the other half don't? Does that mean they give those candidates priority or do they ignore it or is it extra? So like programs are going to be figuring that out in the next couple of weeks. But I, I would I would encourage programs to get on top of this and say and, and put out something that says, hey, do not give additional letters of recommendation for our program. We don't need those. But I just feel like most RPDs and preceptors, they precept students and they're going to be writing these things too. And I, I don't want us to get a culture where all of a sudden now we're writing these for every single program and it becomes a, oh, you know, you got to do that too. Because I think that's going to put too much strain on recommendation writers who are already volunteering their time around the holidays to do this. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, Sean. I think the change with this is one to, you know, get more meaningful letters, but also I think it actually, based on how direct the questions are and how streamlined some of the form is, it actually is supposed to cut down on some of the time that it takes, you know, reference writers. Like sometimes it would take me, typically I'd have to block off almost a full week to get to some of these based on like how many students were Mm -hmm. asking me. So hopefully this, well, you're really popular too. Well, I don't know about that, but, um, (laughs) but, but but so I feel like, you know, trying to request a letter of recommendation for every single program for every single student you're writing a letter for, like sometimes I would write for six, seven applicants times 10 programs. That's a lot of letters. And I fear that that, 
would have to be a requirement in the future. So my my hope is the same, like this wouldn't be something that becomes the norm or that programs request from every from every letter writer. The other part of it, I know we've rambled a lot about this, but I and my hope is that we as a community wouldn't make this the norm, but uh, it, it kind of it certainly opens the door to that. So hopefully hopefully they hear your opinion and are swayed by it, Sean. Uh, one last thing I wanted to mention that was mentioned as a change through that email that they sent out through Connect from uh, to program directors, but they mentioned that there's this option to reuse recommendations, and I'm not exactly sure what they meant by that. But the you know it directly says as evaluators tend to receive multiple requests from same applicants, we wanted to make this process as smooth as possible for them. Evaluators now have the option to reuse their completed recommendation or submit a new recommendation for the applicant. I guess what I uh, am a little confused about is what this means, and I'm sure once we get in there as letter writers, we'll see more of the functionality. But in previous years, you know, comments would if if applicants would send us uh, specific programs, uh, request for us each individual program, it would carry forward those comments once we filled them out. So, uh, maybe there's a difference in the functionality or what that means exactly, but it appears that there's no longer a general recommendation form, but that it is all individualized in a sense. So, okay. One thing that I really want to make sure that we talk about uh, we've covered a lot of information about the types of changes and kind of gone over our opinion for those, but we want to make sure that candidates feel at ease with all these changes. So what should candidates be doing now to prepare the recommendation writers of this change? And then especially considering that you know they might not all know about it at, at this point. I'm tempted to panic. If I was a student, I would be tempted to just be like, hey, can you please write me... <laughs> Can you please write me an extra letter of recommendation? This might help me out. It's new this year. That's what I feel. That's what I truly feel. I want to be like, yes, you need to push them. Make them write your letters. Uh, but no. Uh, what do I do to make them feel at ease? I agree, Taylor. Don't don't panic. This is not... These are big changes, but, you know, these are... Everybody's dealing with these changes right now, and, uh, and there's nothing to worry about. For the most part, the letter's the same. It has the same message. Uh, if I was trying to prepare my preceptors and my recommendation writers, I would be sending out that email saying, hey, here's the change. Just so you know, they did add this feature at the end, letter of recommendation. I'm going to go back through and make sure that none of these programs change their requirements in the next month and all of a sudden require this. Um, and I'll keep you updated. And if I if I notice anything, you know, I'll, I'll definitely communicate that to you all. Uh, but I still plan on going through the process. Here are the programs I'm, I'm going through. I would add that feature you mentioned at the end there. Uh, there's an option. I might have to send you individual letters. No, you have to. You have to send individual letters. You do? You do. So you have to send. So tell them you have to send individual letters, uh, but they can carry their comments forward. So like uh, I would I would do that same process. Like I'll let you know if there's a program that is unique or different that I want to highlight and I'll communicate that with you, but you have the option to carry all my comments mm -hmm. forward. An example of that program would be like, here's a, here's my one pediatric only hospital. So can you highlight some of the pediatric stuff? All the rest right. of them are the same. And I think that's a good point and probably stuff you should have done in previous years as well, just to kind of, we've, we've always seen programs have kind of their unique 
things that they require or that they request. So I think this is going to be no different than that. But, you know, just kind of pointing out, like you said, you know, there's been a change with the form. Here's what it looks like. Here's some resources and provide them with that link to ASHP. Kind of point out that, you know, option to upload the letter at the end, but just mentioning um, that you'll kind of check with the program and make sure there's no changes or requirement to upload that. I think this is also kind of segueing into a little bit different topic, but I think this is a good potential question if you are traveling to Midyear to ask program directors directly, say, hey, I'm aware of this change with, you know, the recommendation form. Do I need to request that my letter writers do anything differently or can they just fill out the standardized form? And I think that's a valid, I think that's a valid question to ask them. And uh, it shows that you're kind of prepared and, you know, making sure that your materials are, are uh, adequately filled out. Yeah. I also think that shows that you're up to date and you, you pay attention to things because you're like, look, I found this change. And when they ask you, how'd you know about that? You can say, because I listened to the Sean and Taylor podcast, postgraduate (laughs) pharmacist give the postgraduate pharmacist a shout out, but no, you don't really have to. You can uh, just say, well, I'm just making sure yeah. to cross my T's and dot my I's. But for any letter writers though, that are listening or maybe that talk to their candidates, what should be their approach? Do you think? I don't know if I was a, honestly knowing that this change it's, it's kind of like annoying for us right now. Cause it's like, really, we have to do this now on November as a writer. Uh, it, it really is not that big of a deal to us. It's not like it doesn't significantly change our workload. I think we we should understand that the student or the candidate's the one that's probably really stressed about this change, and so we just need to do do our part in reassuring them and saying, "Hey, I you know I, I see it's changed. You know, whatever you need, let me know. I'm happy to help out. We'll get through this. You know, this is no big deal." Yeah, that was kind of my thoughts. Is you know. St- fill out the application or the evaluation form like you have in the past. I actually think it makes it a little bit easier. It's a little bit more pointed and direct. And then just making sure that your students are reassured and comforted knowing that they shouldn't panic and that it's all going to be okay. It's all going to work out. It was a kind of a unique or interesting time to decide to implement this change, but you know, we'll all get through it together. So any other last minute advice Sean, that we should tell our Sasso squad or leave them with? No, just that we're back and we're sorry for our hiatus, but we are we are back to recording and uh, and we should be pushing out regular content, including current events like this to you as needed. Let us know if there's anything we can do to help, topics you want to hear about, anything that, yeah, that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and feel free to reach out if you have any other questions about the new letter of recommendation form. But thank you all for listening. We hope to hear from you soon. If you want to continue to hear up-to-date topics from us and our guests, please like and subscribe. You can listen to us for free on your favorite podcast app and check out our show notes below to see links and highlights of the episode. And remember, you can separate and stand out.